All right, welcome to another episode of Grinds My Gears. Uh, welcome back. Good friend, good time. Devin Thompson, uh, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, I'm okay. I had a long day with my little guy. You know, you have two of them. But one, jeez, jeez, one little guy. They're a nightmare compared to girls, man. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. What th- Things are a lot better than the last time we spoke. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet. No, right? No. That we have more wiggle room now, right? Yeah. Uh, like we spoke a while ago before the um, conservative leadership race and uh, shortly after the whole convoy stuff. And I think when we spoke last time, we were in a bit of a we Canada was facing like a bit of a funk, like uh in terms of where we were at, right? And I mean, things have changed since we talked last, but I, for the better, for the worse, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out while we talk today. But I mean, the first thing I wanted to touch on with you is um we have that that the leadership race did happen for the Conservative Party and. Pierre did win. Um, now, what do you think about how this administration has kind of done so far? So, you know, I I I try to try to try to do my best to give them some room to let them do what they're doing. You know, I see Pierre a lot talking about inflation, you know, just inflation. Yeah, um, he's wrong to talk about that because. Um, lots of families, my family, I'm sure your family as well, are exp- experiencing that the the increases in you know the cost of living. Yeah. Right. You look at your gas bill. You look at your energy bill. You look at your food bill. You know, I I, I got two boys. One is one is five now, and he's eating a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're looking at your bill. You're looking at your gas bill to to uh, for your vehicle to drive from home to work. In my case, I drive all the way from Barry to Toronto. Yeah. It's it's getting crazy. So he's not wrong to speak about the massive inflation and increasing cost of living that the Trudeau government um, has forced upon us. And not just Trudeau, um, Doug Ford and the other nine premiers as well. I'm not talking about Daniel Smith. She's recent. Because the the lockdowns have partial responsibility for what's going on. They shut down our borders, right? They shut down our economy. They shut down our small businesses. And for some reason, didn't think that all of this was going to happen. And then they're going to blame the Freedom Convoy for what one or two days um, of some uh, of, of leaving one lane open at a border. Yeah. Right. So so they blame the, the Freedom Convoy for that, but never blame the two straight years of economic warfare that the 10 premiers of Ontario and Justin Trudeau launched against the people. But I think that Pierre right now is kind of taking it easy i i don't know why i would have i would have loved to see him speak more about um the the public emergency um, commission where uh just as ministers um joked about sending sending tanks in you know to move yeah. 
mow down peaceful protesters. I would have loved to see him speak about that. Was that, have, was that a joke or were they serious? Because from what I read, it seemed like it was serious. They were serious. That's not a joke. Yeah. You're not joking, right? Yeah, it seemed like they were seriously considering tanks, right? And against your own citizens, that's... That should mm -hmm. be concerning. That's like that's yeah. some China bullshit right there, which we'll get yeah. into later. Yeah, right? they they opted to send horses instead to trample on on trample all ladies. ladies. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I, I would have loved to see him speak more about these things, right? Because this is what his supporters want to hear. And I'm, I'm on Twitter every day, and I'm and I'm and I'm tagging him. I tag Maxime Bernier too, and I say, Pierre, you need to start listening to your supporters because you might lose them to Maxime Bernier. Yeah. It's not an attack on P on peer or anything. I'm just assessing the situation. I'm reading what people are saying. And a lot of people aren't really hearing from peer what they thought he was going to speak about after electing him. Yes. Now, when he's in the house, what I'm, from what, like, I'm trying not to consume my brain with too much of that like watching what they're talking about in the house, but I'll, 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 I'll get, I'll get the highlights in there and I'll, I'll sit and, you know, mm. when everyone's gone to bed, you know, when my wife is like too much politics, I'm like, okay, when you go to bed, I'll do it. I'll, <laughs> right? So, um, I don't hear any key talking points from a lot of their, his campaign promises on how he wanted to make Canada the freest nation in the world. Yet I haven't seen any action towards those words yet. My biggest, my biggest concern is, and a shout out to Tulsi Gabbard. She's she's an amazing uh, politician out in the states. For people who don't know, she was a Democrat. She recently left the Democratic Party, but she's the only level-headed liberal I can stand in in today's political landscape. But um, in in one of her podcasts, I believe it was with Joe Rogan, she spoke about the regime change wars and how politicians use these regime change wars to either get elected or to further their agendas. And one of the things I'm noticing with this conservative party, and don't get me wrong, as a human being, I'm, I'm very sympathetic towards the Iranian people about what's going on in Iran and all that kind of stuff. But I'm seeing a lot of their this their their focus on Iran, you know what is Trudeau going to do about Iran? And oh, so can I can I speak on that? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay, so so I I I think the conservatives are right um, to focus a lot on on Iran, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. So the Islamic Republic is a producer of terrorism globally, and that that's not good for Canada. And the other problem is that the that Iran the Iranian Islamic Republic they have um, cells in Canada, right? They have yeah. agents in Canada. So one of the things that Ira the Iranian com community is saying is that they don't feel safe here because Trudeau is allowing yeah. Yeah, to send their operatives into the country and he's not deporting their operatives, which is why the conservatives keep asking him to, to, um, to de designate the, the, um, the IRGC that's the public guard. I, I I can't remember the full name. The IRG yeah. as a terrorist organization, so that you can stop their money flow and you can stop their ability to to um to, to enter into Canada and to engage in some of these dangerous activities. Okay, now I have uh, here's where I, I I agree with you, right? I don't. I'm not against that aspect of the whole Iran situation. But here's where I put my little hat on and I do a little digging because I, I spend a lot of time investing in, 
one of the biggest things that come out of Iran is what oil, right? They control mm. they control a huge supply of oil in the world. Now, when you think about this economically and politically, if you were to input a regime to force a regime change war, which they did in Afghanistan, which they did in plenty of other countries, to get control of this natural resource that right now the world is suffering with. It has significant political and financial gains, not for me and you, but for the people that are running the th- the show. And so I think it's an opportunistic thing that they're doing. And I'm very concerned that they're going to use this as a catalyst so what's going on in Iran and what you're talking about, the cells and the people feeling that they're unsafe, they're going to use this as a means to start, a, if they were to get elected, a regime change war in order to shift the global energy supply away from and, Iran. And so, so, so what I did was I spent a lot of time listening to what Iranian, uh, Iranians have been saying. And yeah. one of the ways I did that was through Twitter spaces. I would just go into their rooms and listen to what they're saying. Yeah. And one of the things that they're saying is that we don't want the United States or Canada to send any troops to Iran. Yeah. They can take care of it on their own, right? The only yeah. thing that they need is for Canada and the U.S. to stop supporting the terrorist Islamic Republic. Because I share the same concern as you, and they share that concern as well. Yeah. You don't want the U.S our Canada, our, our NATO, to go into go into Iran, um, kick out the Islamic re- um, re- regime, and put their own puppet government in power. They've done it in Africa over and over and over again. And, and they've, done it in, they've done it in Ukraine, too. That's what yeah. happened in Ukraine, and that's why we're in this situation with Ukraine. And look at the state of these countries, yeah. these Western countries um, planting their own puppet government in place. So, yeah. I don't, so I don't think any of us wants it, but at the same time, we recognize that the Iranian people are struggling. They're fighting for freedom. And I personally give my support to the Iranian people. Yeah, absolutely. Fighting. But yeah. as, as we said, we, we, we don't want a situation where any of our governments try to launch any military campaign. I want, I want zero of our boys and, and women to be over yeah. there. Zero. And it's not our war to fight. We can support morally... And, and we can support with sanctions, but uh, in terms of putting our lives at risk for that, uh, absolutely not. Because yeah, so we, the Iranian people can take care of it on their own. Yeah. They've shown that. And w- where that comes back to is like, well, I'm sitting here listening to this conservative government talk right now. And yeah, they're they're talking about the Iran and, and inflation. But like like you said, the cost of food and everything is going up. And I don't think Canadians at this specific point in time really are too, uh, I'm trying to find it the least insensitive way to put this. They're not too concerned with what's going on overseas when there's so much issues at home to deal with here. And I think the wrong approach is being taken where we're not taking care of the needs of our people first. We're spending our money and our time and our concerns somewhere else. And it's almost like, you know, we're the afterthought. We're the ones footing the bill for all of these things, right? Yeah, and, and that and that's why some of um, Daniel Smith's supporters are kind of upset right now because she she pledged to send more of that province's money um, to to Ukraine, right? Yeah, but rather yeah. than try to focus on helping the people 
in Alberta who really um, do need help. But I do see Pierre speaking about some issues in the country. For example, um, I saw where he posted a video on his Instagram where he went to BC um, to look at the, the homeless encampments where they, yeah. they have that massive drug problem. So, so that is a major problem in Canada. And I'm, I'm glad that he's um, paying attention to it. And today, um, I don't remember. Yeah, it was today in the House of Commons. I was watching um, Question Period live. And Pierre was asking Trudeau, um, did were, was there was there any interference from the Chinese Communist Party in Canada's federal election? And Trudeau yeah. flat out refused to answer. Yeah, right. And that is a serious concern because so Trudeau claims that there has been no influence that changed that changed the outcome of any elections in Canada. That's what he says. And, we can't believe anything that Trudeau says. It and this is the 2019 election, correct? This is it, the... It, it happened in the last one too, right? So, okay. so the report was about the other one, but I'm quite sure it happened in the last one too. Yeah. So the problem the problem is that um, the CCP definitely is focused on interfering and in influencing Canada's election. To yeah. what level, we do not know. So it's, it was very, very important for Pierre to go into the house to, today to confront um, Justin Trudeau about that. So yeah. even though he he, he isn't um, pushing his message about, you know, his freedom message that he had during the campaign, he is uh, um, pushing certain messages that we really do want to hear. Yeah. Uh, we really we really do want to hear um, to hold Justin Trudeau accountable for everything that he's been doing, which is why um I, I haven't I've opted not to go too hard on, on Pierre <laughs> because <laughs> because he yeah. is he he is working, right? So yeah. I'm just giving him some space um to do what he needs to do. But yes, he does need to um, amplify his freedom message more. So that um, his, com his, his his supporters feel more comfortable, yeah. Um, in knowing that he's not going to go in the direction that Erin O'Toole went. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I'm hard on him too. And the only reason I'm hard on Pierre is because, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't pay too much attention to to, to politics and those kind of and and things. And then. As I got older, I realized the importance of it, not necessarily to consume your life, but the decisions that these people make directly mm -hmm. affect you in some way. You may not realize it. A lot of people don't realize it. A lot of people are, are like, I talk to a lot of people in my space. I'm like, oh, they're all the same. They all do the same thing. I'm like, well, yeah, morally, they might all be the same, but policy-wise, no, they're not all the same. We have to, you have to be vigilant, right? And the one thing I am going to be very hard on any leader now is I'm going to be hard on them and I'm going to always make them answer for their decisions. Because if we don't hold, I think if the last three years didn't teach us anything, if we don't hold them accountable, they will just keep going and going and going. So remaining skeptical is the best thing you can do as yeah. a, a voter right now, because if you were to put all your eggs in one basket, we've learned this lesson over the last three years, four years, even probably even more. Putting all your eggs in one basket and putting your trust in a politician is foolish, yes. right? Your trust should only be with your family, your wife, your kids. 
everything else should be skeptical. You should always be skeptical and asking questions, questioning their movements, questioning their motives. It's not because I, I hate on the guy. I, you know, I genuinely, like I told my Which wife. just can't be trusted. No. <laughs> they can't. But just no, I told I told my wife at the start of the pandemic when you know Pierre just kind of appeared out of nowhere and was and was the guy who was talking. I'm like, well, you know, if this guy leaves the country, I might want to stay, right? And then you know, lo and behold, he gets into this position where he could leave the country. So I want to give him that chance to prove himself. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I'm going to be skeptical. I'm going to hold him at account for every step because if you don't, we end up where we are right now. You know what I mean? So, so, so for me, um, I haven't decided who I'm voting for yet. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to be voting for the PPC, for this, the conservatives, or for the libertarians. Because as you're aware, my choice for um, the, the conservative party leader was Roman Barber. Yeah. So a lot of my decision um, on who to vote for actually lies with Roman Barber. So if, if Roman, Roman runs with the conservatives then most likely I'm going to be running with the conservatives too. But one of my biggest concerns today, well, two of my biggest concerns today are central banking, digital currency, and ESG scores. Yeah. If Pierre comes out tomorrow and uh, speaks out um, a, a fully, completely against CBDCs and ESG, he has my vote. Yeah. Straight, he has my vote. Any, any day he comes out and says that he will not implement central banking digital currency in Canada and he will outlaw it, he will, he will make it illegal, he will make it unconstitutional, um, charter right abuse, Yeah, he has my vote because that is the most dangerous threat that we face as a human race right now. Central banking digital currency yeah. and ESG scores. We see a bank in British Columbia actually creating um, um, their, their ESG score credit card. I don't know if you yeah. saw that post. Yeah, I saw it. And for yeah. people who don't know, that's the environmental cre uh, carbon. Social governance. Yeah, social yeah. governance. So basically, for people who don't understand what that means, it's like your credit card will have some sort of carbon footprint um, <laughs> monitor. So if you buy a, you know, a crate made of wood, it will count a certain amount of points against your carbon footprint to a certain point where, you know, whatever they decide is too much for your monthly allowance, you won't be able to buy certain things. And that's exactly where it's going. So if you go to the grocery store with your ESG credit card to buy some steak, the credit card is going to say, uh-uh, you bought two pounds of steak last month. buy any of this month. No steak for you, fatty. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> You're, you're going to work, right? And you stop yeah. at a gas station to swipe your ESG credit card. The machine says, uh-uh, you, you went to the movies last night when you shouldn't have. You should have used your gas credit to yeah. go to work. Your mileage. <laughs> now you got to take the bus. Yeah, your mileage is kind of start to get on the yeah. bike. Better. Yeah, people don't understand. That's that's where we're heading. And that's the, where we're going. The, I wouldn't say it was a problem, but the thing that kind of amplified this talk was the... Um, I forgot the name of the company, but the the company the the crypto uh, exchange that went down FTX FTX yes, and uh, I got one of one of my clients who works in the banking sector. She kind of explained how it kind of works, where you know you have your cryptocurrency that you own, right, and you can kind of keep it there, like in your in your little crypto yeah. wallet, 
and just leave it and it grows like a normal investment or you can give it to these guys. It's like a bank and they can give this outrageous, I think it was 20% uh, re uh, return to hold your crypto and they're doing everything the same thing as like a bank does. They lend your crypto out to other people. So it's not really there anymore, but you still have the value with them. It's, it's Partly they weren't supposed to lend it out. Yeah, they weren't supposed to, but banks do that, right? That, I mean, that's the whole scam behind banking. Like, no, that's another that's another hour-long conversation. But yes. the guy ended up taking all these people's money, spending it on his own company, another company. That one went bankrupt. All the money's gone. The whole thing collapses. So the governments are now calling for some sort of regulation. We need to regulate to protect people. Protect. Um, and the danger with that is that this is an isolated incident. I don't think it will happen again. The people that are involved with the cryptocurrency and these kind of networks are super smart. They're not gonna let they're not gonna leverage the same way again. Like you look at someone who lost all the money, like Kevin O'Leary, lost a bunch of money. Do you really think he's gonna invest in a company again that's gonna be on the same kind of level as that? No, he's not going to. Yeah. So I don't believe this will happen again. The companies that are doing that right now will collapse. But it's when these things happen, you get these give a little bit of kindling to these guys. Oh yeah, we need to centralize this. We need to regulate. So I, I speak often often about the role of government. So the role of government in this instant in instance wouldn't be to go in to make rules about how companies like FTX should operate. Yeah, the only rules that a government should be making is rules um, surrounding the use of fraud in business transactions. So if the FTX founder is found guilty of you know, um, engaging activities that goes against the contract that was signed between him and his customers, then that's fraud. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Even simple. So, so we don't need government to go into the crypto cryptocurrency market to try to regulate it because we know that what they're trying to do is regulate it away, right? They don't yeah. want they don't want um, open source cryptocurrency. They don't want decentralized cryptocurrency. They want to be in control of it, just as they're they are in control of the money right now. Currency, yeah, right. Yeah. And and the I mean, every single I I it took me a long time to learn this, man. It's like every single day you keep savings in your bank account, you're losing money. Right, it, um, yeah. or under your mattress in your yeah. pocket, and yeah. you're right here. No matter yeah. where you're, yeah. you're, you're losing money, exactly. But more specifically, in the bank, in the banking system, you like, like a, a couple of the young guys I train and I train with, like they're you know they're coming up and they're like you know how do I invest, Ashton? So I, I teach them a little bit what I know. I'm not an expert investor, but I I teach them a little bit what I know. But the first thing I always teach them is like, I ask them like, how do you get paid? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, how do you get paid? Like, where does your 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 job pay you? They're like, oh, it just goes into my bank account. I'm like, okay, so it's direct deposit. I'm like, so do you ever see your money? They're silent. They're like, what the what what the hell do you mean? I'm like, no. Do you ever physically see your money that you make? And they're like, I guess not. I'm like, no, you never see your money. Your it's money, like it doesn't exist. Your money goes from the bank account of your employer into your bank account directly. The minute it goes into your bank account directly, do you think the bank is sitting there with, say you have 10 grand, do you think they're just sitting there holding your 10 grand waiting for you to come get it? No. Actually, 
it, it doesn't even go into your bank account. The bank just put just updates some numbers. Yeah, and it's, it's just a number. It's just a number. It's a number. Meanwhile, your ten thousand dollars, depending on the time of day that it's, it gets deposited, is yeah. probably off in some sort of market, making the bank other thousands of millions of dollars. But in China, right? I have a, I have a buddy who he's quite savvy to this crap, right? So he's like, all right, I'm going to get my money out. So he goes to TD and says, I want to take all my money out. They're like, what? He's like, yeah, I just want to take my money out. Like, give me my money. And he's like, um, and when I asked him this, I'm like, you don't have to tell me how much your bank account is worth, but it's over a hundred grand, right? He's like, yeah. So he's like, I want my money out. So like, oh, we got to schedule an appointment. He's like, why do I have to schedule an appointment if you get my money? I just, I just want to take all my money out. They don't have it. They don't have his money. It's been <laughs> six months. They've been doing phone calls and different meetings, and they've been delaying the process because they don't have his money to give him. And, not there. and that's the lesson everybody needs to realize is that your bank account is just a number on the screen. So, yes. you, so by having cryptocurrencies, by having you know um, uh, uh, real estate, by having all these kind of different things and moving your money into different things, you actually protect yourself. Because putting yeah. it in one place to save it doesn't make you rich. It makes you poor as hell because it's all gone. Yeah, right? and, and that's why that's why um, I, I I speak to people about the rat race. So you have the you have poor people's rat race, and you have rich people's rat race. Yeah, right. Poor people's rat race is in in regards to nine to five. You know, you're working, and the money that you're getting is just not enough. So you have to work more and more and more. So you have to give more time. Yeah, right. To your to your employer to to um to to make uh, a profit. Rich people's rat race is that whenever they make a money from their investments or from their businesses, that money immediately goes into another investment. Yeah. It goes into real estate. Uh, it goes into gold. It goes into silver. They buy another business, which is why monopolies are, are, are created because wealthy people have no choice but to take the fiat currency that they earn to put it into something else because if they don't, they're going to lose it. Well, speaking of monopolies, I think we have one building in Canada today. I don't know if you saw the news. Royal Bank buying HSBC. No, I haven't. I didn't see Royal, Royal Bank bought the Canadian operations of HSBC. So that just made them even bigger. They were the biggest bank in terms of assets before. Now mm. they're even bigger. So, yeah. you know, we have to question these things because look at Rogers Communications buying Shaw. The, mm-hmm. the continuous acquisition of these companies creating monopolies it essentially reduces your purchasing power as a consumer. Yeah, right? and and it's it's and it's not their fault. The, the the reason why these monopolies are there, you know, in addition to what I just spoke um spoke about, yeah, government regulation. Can you and I start a bank? No, precisely. And because you and I can start a bank, <laughs> RBC doesn't have any competition. Yeah. They can buy up all the banks in Canada, and we can't start a bank to compete with them because yeah. the government is going to prevent. Now, now you got me thinking about starting about the brown guy, the brown guy Bank of Canada, BBC. Right? <laughs> no. yeah. But uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, obviously, it's it's been in the news, um, the Emergency Act inquiry uh, into the Freedom Convoy, and um, this one has puzzles all over my head because the way the media kind of put coverage on this, you know, the average Canadian doesn't give a shit. They're like, oh, whatever. They're just doing this, right? Um, the ones that are in tune with 
the things and the threats that we face in the country, you know, like people like me and you uh, have been paying attention to it. Uh, and the, the problem is, and we'll get into the details in a second, but my the biggest thing I've taken away from all of this, regardless of what the outcome is, I think in February they're going to rule on it or whatever, is what I'm gathering is they're using this inquiry as a means to change the Emergency Act. Um, I've heard as soon as the conclusion happened, multiple media outlets saying that, you know, it was written when they were using typewriters. We need to amend it to deal with today's problems. And when they mean by today's problems, they mean, you know, Descent. you know, conservatives. They mean people who are not on the uh, mainstream media side, uh, people who are on social media talking, limiting social media because most of the information was passed through passed through social media during the convoy, and that's where all the decision making was taking place. It wasn't being taken. There, don't for one second be fooled that these guys were making decisions about policing and and bringing this act into uh, into place by you know regular news. It was what they were hearing on social media and they were getting false information from the media and from social media and they were using it to create this mystical racist gathering of white and anti-black people all the crazy shit you know what i'm talking about and that's my biggest fear because if they amend that act they will then use it at any time for any protest to shut it down and, and we will descend it and, and they won't even have to physically do any amendments. It's that the, the fact that um, they created a new interpretation. Yeah. So if so, if the commission finds that Justin Trudeau was right in invoking the Emergencies Act, then the understanding of the act is is going to change. And what that means, and I want you to cut this part out, and I want you to send it in the inbox of every single Black Lives Matter. Indigenous groups, or trans groups, or or gay groups, or uh, you know any any minority slash um, protected groups in Canada. Cut this part out and send it to them. Now that the emergency, so let's say that the commission says that Justin Trudeau was correct. We now know that the interpretation of how the Emergencies Act can be used has changed. What that means is if a government that you don't like comes into power, and a government that you don't like, you protest against that government, that government can now use that new interpretation against you. Yeah. So, if, so, so this is why I always say this to people. If the government creates a law that you think would be extremely dangerous in the hands of the government that you don't like, do not support that law. <laughs> yeah. Don't support that policy. Don't support it because eventually it's going to come around and bite you in the ass. And yeah. that is a fact. Yeah. No, I don't, outside of this, I don't think we should worry too much about the outcome of the commission. And here's why. We know who we are. Yeah. Know who the people in but in the Freedom Convoy work. We know what happened in Ottawa, and that's enough. That's enough for me. 
we went to Ottawa to defend our fundamental human rights and freedoms, the same fundamental human rights and freedoms that the people in the white paper revolution in China are fighting for right now. And that is what is more important than the outcome of this public emergency order commission. Yeah. yeah. And the the commission in itself, you know, it, it brought out a lot of things. But at the same time, when you look at some of the testimonies, you look at like Freeland, and they didn't answer any fucking questions, right? They no. didn't. They didn't it, it, so I, I, it's become a point where like, you know, you see these guys get up and talk and you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be like, we are here to protect the health and safety of every Canadian and fight against misinformation and disinformation. And I will always put the health and safety of Canadians first, no matter what. I can fucking regurgitate the verbal diarrhea mm. before they even say it. It's gone yeah. to that point. And it's like they think we're stupid as fuck, right? And They do think we're stupid. And yeah, they think we're stupid as fuck. Of us are but, stupid. But I think <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are stupid. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But it's 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 almost as if they have gone to the point where they they're not even thinking anymore. They're just regurgitating it over and over and over and over again, and they're thinking that we're just gonna buy into it. And some people will. A lot mm -hmm. of people do buy into it. And like one of the the kind of things that kind of open my eyes is like I'm not gonna say their names or anything, but I have a I have a client and he was just like, oh, if the, you know, when the convoy happened, they should have just. Just got all the police in the end. Just shut it fucking down. Just get them out of there right in the first fucking day. And this, this whole thing is this silly. And I, I'm like, how, and I asked him the question. I'm like, how did you plan on doing this? It's like, oh, I just been forced to tell the police to do it. I'm like, well, in my industry, in the martial arts and the fighting business, I train with a lot of police officers. I know a lot of guys in law enforcement. Not one of the fucking guys that I train with or know went. And they were all asked. They were all asked to go, and they all said no. Mm -hmm. And I've asked one of my good friends, he's pretty high up in the police department, I've asked him, I'm like, honestly, dude, do you believe that those officers that there that were clearing out were actual, like, you know, colleagues of yours and other, of other departments? He said, no, it's probably the handful of few that are dickheads, and we probably had a bunch of UN soldiers that were dressed up in disguises, police officers. And that that's straight from, I can't, I, I won't say his name because I can't compromise him. But that's straight from a high-ranking police officer in, in one of our forces here. They didn't want to do it. The police department right now, the guys that I know that are in it, are highly supportive of what happened, are highly supportive of, of you know, the freedom and being able to do what you want and they're against a lot of this shit it's a but unfortunately if you look at the durham region police officer that that woman i forgot her name but she had posted a video in support of the convoy yeah. and do you see the punishment for her or her husband dude they made him they're making him do 60 unpaid hours of work as punishment for punishment that's slavery yeah and nobody's batting a fucking eyelash about that. You're talking about a police officer who was forced to apologize for and saying I was wrong. And then his punishment was 60 unpaid hours. I might get the hours wrong, but it's between 60 oh. and 80 of unpaid police work. That's weird. 
I'm not even fucking with you. That's fact. That's not misinformation or disinformation for you little fucks out there who care about that shit. That's real. That's imagine your boss saying to you, you drop the milk at work. You have to now stay an extra five hours to pay off for that. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that is where we have to send. That's how we're treating our law enforcement. If we disagree, if they have an opinion, you disagree with them, you have to now do unpaid work. Yeah, that's that that definitely is slavery. <laughs> right? There's no other way to describe that. Yeah, I'll I'll try to find the article and show you, but it, it, yeah. it's it's factual. That hap- that's happening in Durham region. That's happening to a Durham region officer right now. Like yeah. and that that's just for voicing their so why do you think the police officers are not speaking up? They support the movements and the people mm. in the shadows, but they can't speak up because look at what happens. Now they have to do s- that's over a week worth of free work, right? Yeah. Right? Well, and, <laughs> and like another part of this inquiry that really kind of egged me, but I'm not surprised is like after Trudeau did his testimony, obviously like I, I don't really, I don't like giving CBC ratings, but I want to YouTube and let me see their take on this, right? Because I listened to him talk. I, I sacrificed what, 20 minutes of my life to listen to some of that, his terrible mm-hmm. voice speak it makes me want to just shoot myself in the fucking face listening to that guy talk and nothing positive came out of that and nothing uh just no justification came out of it for why he did it he just spewed like i said the verbal diarrhea the same crap over and over and over again then you go to um the cbc and you listen to them and they say oh he did a really good job you know he he, he definitely uh showed why he justified using it and so the problem with this is that people who aren't paying attention are now taking that at, for word from those people. And it's not the truth. If you listen to those testimonies, if you listen to Freeland talk, you listen to Justin Trudeau talk, they provided no concrete evidence or justification of why they used that legislation that should only be specifically used basically in more times, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the way the media has spun it, they like... You know, at the end of um, the, his testimony with the convoy lawyer, where she asked, why are you so afraid of your people? Yeah. Goes, it was a very powerful statement, right? And he couldn't answer. Like, he, he almost smiled and laughed like, fuck, she, that was a good one, right? That's that's probably what he was thinking, right? Yeah, and, he, he responded and said, we, we, we aren't and we don't or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but he but he smiled because he, yeah. in, in his head, he was like, oh, that was, in his head, he was like, he was like, damn, she got me with a good one there, a good singer, right? That wasn't on their little highlight reel when they did the news, when CBC yeah. posted that clip. Why not? You know what I mean? It, 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 we are, you know, everyone's talking about censorship in China, and we're literally day by day being censored by the exact same people you vote for. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like, how much can I say it before I'm like fuck it? I'm tired. Like that's it. That's why I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Elon to to you know accidentally <laughs> find a new planet. Yeah. So I can take my my wife and kids and stow away on one of the ships. You know, and <laughs> light yeah. years ahead. You know, and drop on like the, the the this this entire world is upside down, and I'm watching. It's amazing. It's it's really amazing. I'm watching people. Supporting the white white paper revolution um, in China, that's protesting the lockdown measures, 
while hating the freedom convoy and, and, and hating people in Canada who opposed um, lockdown measures who that, that would have resulted in China-level zero COVID lockdowns if we didn't stop it. Yeah, and did you see Trudeau today? He was like, yeah, I support them. Yeah, I see him. They have the right to protest and we support that. Yeah. I'm like, you motherfucker, the same thing happened here. Yeah. The same thing <laughs> yeah. fucking happened here. And you here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. So you see, so this goes back to your conversation about Iran. Yeah. So you see how outspoken and strong the politicians are against Iran. Look how quiet they are about the CCP. Yeah. You see how they're how they're 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 you know they're they're sidestepping the issue. Not speaking too hard against Xi Jinping. Yeah, there is that because there's. I mean, there is more at play than we know. There's yes. more at play than we know, and if we know it, dude, it would send this place into chaos. We will be rioting in the streets and breaking shit, and society will break down because yeah. I like um one of the guys I've had on this podcast. He he used to be my old head coach, but he's a a history uh, major, and he always said this to me over the last two years, every time we, we talked, was that history always repeats itself, actually. So I always try to go back and look at, like, crazy times, because I'm not a historian, right? And I'm not interested in reading, like, a thousand books. i got other stuff to do, but I'll, I'll pay more attention to history. And we see history repeating itself in a very different way now, like a more modern technological informational way. But it's repeating itself. It's repeating itself, and we're failing to pick up on these red flags of society. And what ends up going to happen is, like, who knows? Like, I mean, the thing with China that's happening is the one benefit I see about it. And when I say benefit, like, I know there's a lot of people suffering, but the one benefit I see about this is the potential for them to invade Taiwan reduces as these protests grow and get stronger because it's very hard for a government to have support to do a war against a country when there's mass protests the way there is going here now i know in russia they had some protests and they shut those down quickly but from what i understand obviously our our views are limited because we don't get proper images from china from what i understand these protests are, are way bigger than what happened in russia Mm-hmm. And and I think the, on the benefit side is that might delay any kind of action because my biggest fear and concern for my family is that like if China was to invade, it would lead to a world conflict, right? And um, that that's the biggest thing. And I think that this uprising of the people has a lot of benefit to you know not letting that happen. So. I have another take on history that I'm going to try out here. Yeah. I don't think it's that history repeats itself. I think it's that the tyrants are getting better and better at controlling society. So think back to Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Lenin days, right? Yeah. They tried communism, they tried Marxism, they tried socialism, and they tried fascism. But it, it ended up working out in a way where they ended up losing their lives, um, destroying their countries, or basically losing the wars. Yeah. So what, what what happens now is that they 
just simply get smarter. They say, okay, this didn't work. Let's try to find another way to make this work. Because a lot of people realize that um, lots of the Nazis, the, the fascists and the communists, like they didn't die. Like they just moved to the U.S. <laughs> they're, they're, they're an Argentine. They're in Argentina. I bet you they're right? in Argentina, right? <laughs> yeah, right. They just moved to other countries, infiltrated their governments, and started pushing yeah. their communist fascist ideologies, which leads us to today, where we have you no know, another fascist system to worry about, which is stakeholder capitalism's great reset. Yeah. Right. So we have that to worry about. Um Klaus Schwab and his fourth industrial um, <laughs> revolution. Fucking right? Scrooge McDuck, that guy. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so that's my take. Take of history It's just that the tyrants are just getting smarter and smarter over time. No, no, they're putting this tyrannical system in front of us that people are willingly opting into. People are volunteering to become slaves. They're like, you know what? Instead of forcing people to become slaves, um, instead of putting chains on them, instead of beating them up. Instead of doing all these things, let's create a system where they opt into slavery. And that's what's happening right now. People are opting into slavery. People are opting into online censorship. People are opting into giving their guns away to Trudeau. Right? That's another one. You guys are going to, if you want what I got, you got to have, have to come bang the door down and come take it because I ain't giving those fucking things up, bro. Right. So, Jeez. so. So and and this all goes back into with with China right now. If the Chinese people had their guns, would Xi Jinping be as brave Absolutely as he not. is? Absolutely as bold not. as he is. Absolutely not. And I and I have a a client from Hong Kong, and I ask him this all the time. Like I ask him questions about China because he was born and raised there. He's about I think he's seventy eight, so he's he's older. He was born and raised there. And he moved here for a better life. He escaped the communism. But I asked him, like, why don't people, like, fight back? Like, why why is it so hard for them to just, like, if someone's telling you what to do, why don't you just say no? And he's like, because they're chickens, Ashton. And I'm like, what do you mean they're chickens? I'm like, how can, like, if someone doing something to me, I'll just be like, no, I'll, you know. I'll fight you. I'll, I'll fight back, right? Whether it be physical, verbal, mental warfare, I'll fight. But basically what he said is, Dave, communism has been so ingrained in the people for years and generation after generation after generation. Um, so, that's all. Yeah. So like the hard people were like him and he left, right? He left. He got out of there. He's like, I'm bringing my family here and I'm raising my kids here and I'm going to get a better life in Canada. And the ones that couldn't get out and stayed have over time, the governments and the communists have softened the people and softened them and softened them to the point where they're at today, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's taking three years of lockdowns and barricading them to the house. And I don't know if you saw about the story about the fire, which kind of led to all of this, right? Where these people died in the fire because they couldn't get out because they were barricaded in their place because they were... You know, they didn't want everyone to catch the flu, right? Mm. And, um, and, and beat the BBC journalist to, to prevent him from catching yeah, COVID. Yeah, for catching, you know, we don't want you to catch the flu, bro. So we're going to, you know, we're going to detain you. So yeah. the the people, it's a systematic oppression over time. I think we talked about this last time, systemic oppression. But it, it, yeah. it's it's not 
something new. It's just been a thing that they've used, uh, tyrants have used for a long time. And I think what we're seeing now in Canada is we're going to see a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people are just going to say, yeah, sure, I'll go along with it. And But what I, I, my main concern is is in the education system and in the schools, they're softening these kids with all these woke ideologies and policies so that as generations go on, because this is not a overnight thing, like controlling a mass population doesn't happen overnight unless you take a giant military in and put guns to everybody's head. You mm-hmm. can't you can't do that in a North American or Western society because we have guns too, and people here are willing to fight without guns either, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to take a massive psychological warfare over time, and what we're seeing right now is that time, the, the beginning of it. Right. And the thing about it is this thinking exponentially growing. I think COVID was the exponentially growing factor. It gave this catalyst for this 10, 15 year timeline that these tyrants put in place. Well, okay, now we cut that in half because COVID gave us uh, leverage to, you know, to isolate, to infiltrate, to brainwash and to do all the things that we normally need to do over 15, 20 year period in three years. Right. And it's sad to see it, but at the end of the day, people will do whatever the government says as long as they're comfortable. And then once they're not comfortable anymore, things change. But the problem is, is when you're not comfortable anymore, it might be too late. And then yeah. what are you going to do? Then you're going to come looking for Devin and Ashton. Hey, what do we do, guys? <laughs> yeah, because with with the Chinese people, it's 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 decades and decades and decades of brainwashing, and you know Western government. Have learned a lot from China, and they're basically doing the same to us. Yeah, we have, and, and which is why I say that Marxism is a threat. It is a dangerous threat um, to the West because Marxism is a disease. Yeah, right. Marxism is 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 like a religion, but it's a toxic religion because the, the whole purpose of Marxism is um, to create uh, a culture war, a race war, or a class war um, in order to implement communism. That's the whole entire purpose, Marxism. Yeah. The problem is that when 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 Marxism uh, when Marxists um, try to implement their system and they realize that communism isn't really working out the way that they want it to work out, they become fascists. Yeah, exactly. Communists always becomes fascist. It's the natural order of things, yeah. and, and and that's why Hitler played around with fascism because he realized that uh, what he wanted to do wouldn't work right now. Yeah, any country that tr- tried communism haven't actually tried full-blown communism simply because it doesn't work. And when they try the full-blown communism, their country starts to crash on itself, and then they have to rely on fascism to save the country because yeah. fascism does is um, uh, exert indirect control of the economy, similar to what China is doing right now. Yeah. So you have Apple in China, you have Tesla, you have all of these companies. At the same time, these companies have to do business um, 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 uh, to, to benefit the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. If they don't do business to benefit the CCP, then the CCP can nationalize their businesses or they can keep them out of the country. Well, they'll, pull, they the plug on them. they'll pull the plug on them, right? Yeah. And, I mean, just, just, like, just like Apple right now. So uh, apparently the, the protesters in China we're, we're circumventing the Chinese censorship system using Apple's um, eardrop system. 
and okay. an Apple limited eardrop, right? Mm. At the behest of the Chinese government. And there, there, there's a few positive things coming out of the West to to limit China. And I think I, I won't go into too much depth because it's kind of a boring topic. But like the the whole chip thing, right? The chip, you know, like the U.S. did that Chip Act, right? There's a company. I think ASML, they do, they make the giant, these giant fucking machines that literally produce all the chips, right? And they said they won't sell to China anymore. These are like $500 million machines, right? Yeah. So you can't like, you can't just get one. <laughs> like they take like, they take years to build and then they send them off. So those are the chips that um, China wants, but now they can't get. So it, there, there are some actions that kind of, circumvent their the, the ccp's ability to kind of uh spread this kind of thing but at the same time it's a little bit too late for that by the time the effects of that happen we might be in a, a global situation we the, don't want to be in. The, the the fastest way to limit china um without destroying your your own country is to actually um, place a so so for let's say just use canada for example i think the national minimum wage is what Sixteen dollars per hour. What is it? Fifteen fifty. But I, I think it's province yeah. by province. It's, I don't think it's national. There, there should be a national one. I, I don't remember. Well, let's say that. The, let's say that the national minimum wage for Canada, or the, or the, the lowest minimum wage in Canada was fifteen dollars per hour. Yeah. Right. If you wanted to reduce the country's reliance on China, all you have to do is to draft legislation that says that any company uh, exporting products to Canada should ensure that their workers are being paid at the same minimum wage yeah. in Canada. You see, when you do that, what happens is that the corporations in this country will now be able to compete with Chinese corporations on equal footing. Yeah, but that's never going to happen. That's the the, the problem. No, I agree with you. That should be in place. But the problem with that is economically, it would probably drive the cost of things up so much more because of uh, it would take years and years and years of competition before um, some of the players were weeded out and then the prices could come so, down, right? As a, as, a, as a libertarian, I don't support the minimum wage. I think that the market should set wages yeah, and, that set, includes, same with me. and that includes labor wages. However, that I know that that is unreal, an, an unrealistic yeah, ask. It's, it's never going to happen. No. Right? So, so I, so my, so my, Solution then, knowing that this would not happen, is to limit other countries' um, um, wages when they're importing products into Canada, and that way, corporations here can compete on that same equal footing. And remember, when those corporations start competing um, on the on the equal footing, you're creating more jobs, yeah, right, and you're 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 boosting wages, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, that's a multiple layer economical discussion to have yeah. with somebody who's way like our math skills are not nearly good enough to figure that one out um, but no you're right I, I i believe in a free market too but i also do believe that there needs to be a minimum standard of living for you to earn a living right but i also don't think that you should be able to demand more money yeah. Just because you feel like you want more money. Like if you flip burgers at Burger King, I'm sorry, but your skill set is only a $10 an hour job. If you want to demand more money, your skill set needs to increase. That's why we have education. That's why we have 
levels in companies. Uh, I saw the way the worker revolution is kind of coming now, especially like in North America, it's more like, oh, we demand more. Well, no, you can't just demand something. You have to earn it. If you can't show that your skill is worthy of that wage, you don't get it. It's that simple, right? But at the same time, like you said, I view myself as more of a libertarian than a conservative, to be honest with you. You do need a minimum standard of living. And with the cost of living in Canada and North America as high as it is right now, we're facing a problem, right? But at the same time, you can't boost minimum wage to $20 an hour. Then you're going to drive everyone out of business. So, so that's why, Ashton, you have to ask the question about, you have to ask this question, why do we keep having to increase the minimum wage? Why do we have a minimum wage? And why do we have a low standard of living? And the answer to that question is one word, inflation. Yeah. What causes inflation? Fiat currency monetary system. Yes. Who manipulates it? Government. Central bank. Yes. Yeah. Right? So, so that is the reason why we have a minimum wage um, in the first place, because the government keeps stealing the value of our, our, our earning. The government keeps stealing our wealth. You put your money under your mattress. You put five thousand under under your mattress. In the morning, you wake up and it's it, it's it's valued at four thousand nine hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. So, so that is why we keep um, we have this rat race trying to trying to chase down inflation, trying to increase minimum wage to increase the standard of living. So if society really wanted a, a, a good standard of living, it starts by abolishing the fiat currency system, abolishing central banks, and abolishing the government's ability to manipulate money, which yeah. is why we promote something called free banking, yeah. which, is, um, which is basically free market, a free market banking Bank system. system. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I mean, th there's kinks to be worked out in that, but I agree with you. It has to that the only way to curve the, this this whole issue in terms of uh, economics that's going on, the world like as many as much as people don't want to admit it, we're on the we're we're close to economic collapse in North America, in both mm -hmm. the U.S. and Canada. Canada more so than the U.S. Uh, just because of the numbers game, but we're, we're very close. And and if we were to implement a system like that, it could after the collapse if, if it gets there then it would it would be i think it would be in the benefit of everybody for that one of the other things i wanted i wanted to go more local because i know you were i saw you were posting a lot about um this happening over the last few weeks and with the mask mandates and these certain groups coming and trying to push in this shit back and um you know thankfully it hasn't been instituted yet. I'm still waiting because I'm very skeptical. I I, I feel like it, it someday they're just going to say, screw it, we're going to go back in. Mm -hmm. But um, who's at the source of this screamery to bring back mandates in? Because uh, I don't feel like, like, I feel like the Ford government knows it's political suicide. Um, but at the same time, there's still calls for it. Is it the unions? Is it special interest groups? Who's Pulling the strings and trying to manipulate government into making these calls now. Yeah, you ask a very good question, and I, I really don't know who the people are. I know that the the common types are are the Marxists and the communists, right? Those are the common types, and you can find them in the unions, right? You can find them in the NDP, and you can find them in the federal and provincial liberal parties. Yeah. So those are the people who are 
actually pushing the mask mandate. Then you have one that I that I that I call no no I before I call her crazy Dr. Nilly. No, I call her <laughs> crazy COVID zero Dr. Oh, Nilly. That, that that chick is nuts. Just, I, it was great when she went on that that show. I think she went on a podcast and they kicked and her. Hung up on her. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Like, who are you to go on someone else's show and say, wait a minute, let me finish. I'm like, no, that, that is my show. I'm, like, I'm going to finish. <laughs> yeah, she, I, I don't know. Um, I, I guess she has a little bit of mental problems going on. And there is other doctor. I can't remember her his name. Um, he, he's Dr. Nelly's soulmate. I can't recall his name. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I, I don't know what it is what their problem is, why they want to continue this this policy of forcing particularly children to wear masks in schools while they're out and about and going to parties with no mask. I don't, I don't know why. Speak, speaking of that, I, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for you to do that because I, I, that fucking doctor, Kieran freaking Moore, what a piece a of hypocrite. shit. What, a hypocrite's a nice way. I'm going to let you say hypocrite. That's a nice way to put it. I'm going to say he's a piece of shit because it's a piece of shit thing that he did. He goes out on television, says you should wear your mask indoors. I'm sorry, even if you're at home and you have the sniffles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Are you are you kidding me? In my home and I got the sniffles and you want me to wear a mask. And two days later, that piece of shit is at, uh, was it Toronto Life, right? And I, I believe that's some sort of magazine or publication. It must not be a good one because I've never read it. But it's supposedly some high-profile thing. So he goes to a party, he's maskless, right? So I took the liberty of looking up this Toronto Life list because it was for the most influential people. And, mm-hmm. right? So now everyone is – this is called Toronto Life. So I'm assuming they're going to list the 50 people in the city of Toronto who are doing the greatest thing to help people, right? That's what I'm assuming. So I'm like, oh, this doctor's on the list, this, gar- this, this garbage man who's this hypocrite, as you put it, the nice way of putting it. I call him a mm-hmm. garbage man because it's spewing garbage out. Uh, he's on this list. So I took the liberty of looking up the list. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the list out to you here, the first, like, five, okay? Of the most, yeah. These are the most... Influ- I'm assuming Toronto because it's called Toronto Life Magazine. So here's number one. Simu Liu, the actor. Oh, the, from Marvel? Yeah. Who doesn't live in Canada because he has a place in California because I saw it on Selling Sunset. Yes, I watched he's that. He's Canadian? Show. Yeah, he's Canadian. So oh. he's one of the most influential people. Yeah, that's number one. Number two, Tim McLean, the governor of the Bank of Canada. Number three, Doug Ford. Number four, Christina Freeland. Number number five, Drake. Number Drake. S- Drake. Number six, John Tory. Number seven, Anita Nan, Minister of National Defense. Uh-huh. Number eight, Lisa Laflamme. Who, who's that? Who's that? I don't know. That's who that is. that's that journalist that Bell fired because she was garbage. Oh. Uh, number nine, Jugmeet Singh. Number 10, the C, uh, Cameron Bailey is the CEO and president of TIFF, which is also a woke organization. Yeah, the moment you call Jagmeet Singh's name, like the other names were bad, bad enough. Yeah. The moment you call Jagmeet Singh's name, throw the whole Toronto life away. The yeah. whole, whole entire thing. So, and this list goes on. And like Kieran Moore, the doctor number 12, right? And then you look at some of the other people they have on this list. Um, 
Edward Rogers, chairman of Rogers Communication. Uh, and then you go down later and you'll see like this girl, Jenny Bryan, political strategist. So I look at this list and I ask myself, as a Torontonian, I've lived here almost my whole life, moved away from school, come back. Not one of these effing people have any influence on the day-to-day -day life of actual people in the city and province of Toronto. This Rather, is, they have caused harm like, to everyday people. And like you click on this list and they give you an example of like what they've done to earn this like this this uh this this place, right? And then I click on the Tim McLean, the governor of the Bank of Canada. And they said he gets on this list because uh inflation and his way of handling it has been well. I'm not even fucking with you. You can read this. I'm, I'm, I have it on. Have it list up right here. He, he handles it well. He's handling uh -huh. it well. That that that's their justification, right? When I look at a list of the most influential people in a city like Toronto, a vibrant, huge population, say I I want to see guys like you know. Nia Singh. Yeah, Nia Singh. But I, I'll give you more specific on a community level. And because mm -hmm. I, I love this guy, he's my old football coach, Roberto Bubba Allen. I'm giving him a shout out. He's the head coach of the Scarborough Thunder Football Association. He helped multiple kids who were probably going to end up in jail or on the street have a life, play football, go to university, get an education. Those are the kind of people on this list that we should be celebrating. Instead, you put Doug fucking Ford, Christina mm -hmm. Freeland, the governor of the bank. All of this, this, this Toronto life bullshit is a glorification of the elites, and it's a brainwashing tool to make you think that they are doing a good fucking job. When really, who should be on this list? It should be doctors, if, doctors in the community. It should be coaches in the community. It should be teachers who are influencing young men yes. and young women's lives. This they should be celebrated. They should be having a gala and event, and their names should be put out there not simon liu i'm sure he's a nice fucking guy but you're a rich actor and you're, you're buying houses on selling sunset you're not a fucking influence in toronto i'm sorry you're not like if, don't if, give if me that list, shit that list was a real list you know about people who are doing good in toronto and influencing other people's lives nia singh would be on that list because i i, I spent a day driving around with, with nia singh um uh, back during the the Ontario provincial election, yeah. and randomly people would walk up to this guy, right? People who like near um, got out of jail, you know, helped them get back on their feet, you know, after uh, you know so, some kind of running with the police. Like he's been helping underprivileged youth in his community, and then I find out that his daughter is doing the same exact thing. His whole entire family mm. is in Toronto helping underprivileged youths. Those are the kind of people we need to be celebrating. Those yeah. are the kind of people we should be having galas for. Those are the kind of people whose work, like, and, and uh, they don't get any money for this stuff. The stuff that they're yeah. doing, the influence that they're doing, and the changes that they're making in a in a, such a big city like Toronto. And when I, the, the reason I brought this list up is because when I, it, it angered me so much because I know there are people out there that are actually doing good. And the only thing an event like this does is make them less worth anything, right? Because they are working so hard to give other people and kids and different kind of people from all walks of life a second chance at life and helping them. And then all we're doing is worshiping the elites, telling, the, telling 
the governor of the Bank of Canada, yeah, you're doing a good job. No, you're doing a shit job. Because if you were doing a good job, we wouldn't have handed out all that goddamn money to the liberal government so that they can spew it out and we wouldn't be in this problem in the first place. We knew that would happen. We knew printing money was a bad thing, but the governor, he got number two on the fucking list, right? Like, and, you know, I know a lot of people are going to hate me, but Drake on the list of most influential people, I'm sorry, the most he's done for the city is jumped up and down at a, a Toronto Raptors game, right? He's not, he's not actually in the community helping people. And you can call me out and prove me wrong. If you prove me wrong, great. But I guarantee I'm not wrong on that. And the problem where we're going to keep going in this vicious circle, especially in Canada, is when we keep doing things like this, where we keep worshipping and having media come up with these bull crap events and bullshit lists glorifying these people and giving them more power and giving them more notoriety. There's no way on a list of the most influential people a political strategist should be on that list. All right. I don't even know what the job title is of a political strategist. I don't care. But you are not a contributing member of society for the better. There's no way you should be on the goddamn list. I don't even know who that is. I know yeah. most of them probably don't know who that person is either. Yeah. like That's a job. And those people are getting up and making tons of money and are helping these people get into these political powers. and. You know, we're just sitting here and celebrating them. And we're, you know, the you know, Dr. Moore is are you kidding me? He's been in the job for what? A year? He gets that he gets that status? Are you are you kidding me? That's what happens when um your your actions doesn't fit what you actually believe, right? Or or doesn't fit um what you believe are facts. Yeah. And I mean, it, I had to get like I was like I was like when you when you mentioned that that guy, I'm like, okay, great, because I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to get that. <laughs> uh, now, before we wrap it up, there was a interesting thing when you when we were going back and forth over text. You were saying you were writing a book, right? Oh yes. yes. And I just wanted you. I want to hear about that, and I want everyone to kind of hear like your process and what that's going to be about, and what we can look forward to. Yes, yeah, so over the last last three years, you know. Like the COVID pandemic woke up most of us, right? And if, if you were awake before, you're even more awake right now. And I saw how they used race, religion, culture, sex, gender, uh, sexuality to divide society. They divided society um, so much that the government was able to gain significantly more power. So the book that I'm writing, it's called Critical Government Theory. And, and the reason why I call it Critical Government Theory is because I'm challenging some aspects of critical race theory that, um, that proposes, CRT proposes that um, society in essence is racist. Yeah. Everything around us is white supremacist. Every problem that we have as a society is because of white people. And I'm pushing back against that um, divisive rhetoric. And I'm saying, listen, I understand you, you're, you're not wrong that there's something wrong with society and there's something wrong with the system. But what you're proposing that is wrong is actually not the problem. The problem in society is the fact that government is using these systems to divide people and to conquer them and to control them in ways that we cannot imagine. 
Hence, critical government theory comes in where we, where we start talking about teaching children and adults how money works. Yeah. Teaching them about the political systems, teaching them about economic systems, because black kids don't need to learn that they're victims to be successful. Yeah. What they need to learn is how government policies economic and political affects their lives. And once they learn that, they'll better be able to navigate the game of life. And that's what critical government theory is. There you go. I'm looking forward to reading it when it comes up. Yeah. So what I'm doing is, um, I'm not releasing it whole. What I'm doing is I created a Substack account and I'm going to be releasing different chapters on Substack. And I'm going to be asking um, subscribers for their comments on each chapter and if there's something that they, they think I should add if there is if there's a mistake that I made if um you know something is yeah. correct I want the feedback from from um, from, from our um, our community so that by the time I, I complete all chapters I can now put it together into a factual book that everybody can read and I I, I don't want the critical race theorists to think that I'm coming out to attack them because as I said, yeah. you're right. Something is wrong with society, but it's not what you think. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say. Critical race, race theory might have been, you know, you know, a, a good thing back in the days when we're, our ancestors were slaves, yeah. um, you know, when they when they suffered under segregation and discrimination, but we don't need it right now. That is not what we need because everybody is facing systematic oppression yeah. from the government regardless of the color of their skin their religion their culture or their gender yeah and that's what well, i can't wait to read it and uh have you have that substack up already is that already yeah right? substack's there right now um it's populated with some um with some content right now i'm going to be launching the first article very soon but if you go on Substack and you type in uh, devonthompson.substack, that's the, no, devonathompson.substack, you should be able to, to gain access to it. All right. Here it is. Here. All right, cool. I'll post that link on the, uh, on the podcast too, on the video, so everybody can get to it. And there you go. That's, that's yeah. it. And, and I'm glad you're doing things like that because – and the way you just described how you want to populate it to get to that to the point where you have the finished product, I think it is is very good too. And we're missing like I wish more journalists and authors who are writing kind of things would go on that route where they get the feedback and they say, hey, hey tell me if I'm doing something wrong here, yeah. um, because then you can make your work even better. You know what I mean? And like personally, as a martial artist. That's what I do every day. I, I'll we'll, we'll go into the gym, and I'll do something, and I'll uh, you know in my in my profession it's a little bit different. You have a little bit different consequence. So, you know you get choked out or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I always I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And I ask. I ask somebody who's better than me. What am I doing wrong? Where am I going wrong? How do I fix it? And that's I think yeah. a, a lost art that we've lost in in the world yeah. where we all think we're some sort of perfectionists or what we think in our head is 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 fact in the end result. Whereas you know it's okay to get criticism sometimes and to make your work even better. So yeah. I respect you for doing it that way. That's a very very honorable way of getting your work out there and, and coming up with yeah. this project. And 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 it's and it's a it's a it's a two part book. Book one is just educating on critical government theory, and book two are is 
complete action items, which is it talks about free market education, school choice, talks about um, uh, free decentralizing um, energy, um, talks about um, agriculture, stuff like that to, to reduce our reliance on government. And these are going to be fully researched action items. So don't just subscribe, get a paid subscription because that's the only way I'll be able to conduct the research necessary to actually get book two completed. So um, I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm a professional engineer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's, that's my background. And that's what I want to use my skills to do, to engineer a better future for society. There you go. Yeah. Devin Thompson. Thank you for doing this again, man. It's always a pleasure, and we'll do it again when we have some more crafts to talk about. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, brother, and uh, I appreciate you doing it, all right? Thanks, Ashton. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you for watching and listening to the Grands My Gears podcast. Please head over to Spotify. Make sure you like and subscribe, as well as head over to YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and the like on the video as well, and head over to gmg Podcast dot com to get all up-to-date info on the podcast as well as other special things that we have on that website